This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, December 27th, 2022. Good afternoon, and thanks for joining us for the Tuesday edition of the WBBM Noon Business Hour. I'm Rachel Pearson, filling in for Rob Hart. A look at how robots will be taking over the fast food industry. We'll cover that in our next segment, but first, the final trading week of the year includes data on housing, jobs, and manufacturing. Joining us with a preview is Gus Fauché, Chief Economist at PNC Financial Services, based in Pittsburgh. And Gus, what are some of those key reports investors are going to be keeping an eye on this week? Well, we, we already did see house uh, got house price data for October. We saw a decline there. Uh, we get data on unemployment insurance claims. Those have remained extremely low. The labor market is still very, very tight. Uh, the Fed wants to see more of a tightening there. Uh, and then we also get data on pending home sales. And it'll be interesting to see uh, how much the Uh, increase in mortgage rates that we've seen over the past year uh, continues to weigh on the housing market. Well, and it was a double whammy briefly. Well, I shouldn't say briefly. It's been a double whammy of high interest rates and high home prices. And maybe we're starting to see at least one of those factors come down. But it will be interesting to see if interest rates follow suit. That's right. Obviously, we're starting to see a substantial slowing in the housing market. Uh, house prices are still up about 8% year over year, but they have been falling in recent months as affordability has declined with those very high mortgage rates. Uh, I don't expect mortgage rates to move much in the near term. Uh, and so I think we will continue to see house prices decline. And overall, I think we'll, we'll probably see them fall nationally around 10 or 12% or so. So not quite as bad as what we experienced uh, during the Great Recession 15 years ago, but still a pretty substantial correction in the housing market that will last through most of 2023. Let's shift gears to the, the job landscape, because we're expecting a report on jobless claims this week. Yeah. So they have been, you know, running about 215,000, 220,000 initial claims for unemployment insurance per week. That's very low historically. Uh, There's no indication that the job market is is, is softening. And in fact, the Federal Reserve would like to see jobless claims move a bit higher as an indication that the job market is slowing somewhat. Uh, The unemployment rate is near the lowest rate in 50 years. Wage growth is strong. That's adding to inflation. So the Fed wants to see a little bit uh, still job growth, but at a slower pace. All right, let's broaden our scope and look at the the U.S. economy as a whole. And I mean, it has just been a year of upheaval between high interest rates, inflation, cryptocurrency problems. What are the prospects of a recession in 2023? I think we're likely to get a mild recession next year. I think the probability is about two and three. Uh, we, you know, we just have seen mortgage uh, interest rates climb dramatically. We're already seeing that show up in the housing market. I expect it's going to show up in the job market uh, over the next 
four or five months or so. And, you know, the Fed is very concerned about inflation that is much higher than it was a couple of years ago. Uh, they're trying to slow the economy to, to bring inflation back down to 2%. And unfortunately, that's going to lead to some pain, particularly in the job market. Now, typically toward the end of the year and the first few days of the new year, we, we typically see a rally on Wall Street, but that really hasn't been happening. And I'm curious to pick your brain. Is there a reason why? Well, you know, there's just a lot of uncertainty out there about what's going to happen with inflation, what the Fed is going to be doing, how they're going to be responding to the signals of both uh, continued high inflation, but also some indications that the economy is slowing. Uh, I think the Fed continues to raise interest rates, at least in the, the first quarter of 2023, and that's bad news for stocks. And so I wouldn't expect to see a recovery in the stock market probably until sometime around the middle of next year. Thanks so much, Gus Fauché, chief economist at PNC Financial Services based in Pittsburgh. Coming up, fast food chains turning to robots to help fight inflation. Compounding your interest with an economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Fast food restaurants are increasingly integrating robots into their operations. We welcome R.J. Hadavi, head of analytical research at foot traffic analysis firm Placer AI here in Chicago. And R.J., what does this mean? I'm thinking of the Jetsons, some robot taking my order at a fast food chain. What exactly does this technology integration look like? Yeah, it's, it's across the board. And if you ask any restaurant operator out there what the number one problem they've run into in the last couple of years, other than COVID, uh, they probably tell you that it's labor shortages and just getting the staffing there in place. So uh, we increasingly hear more and more about technology solutions, and it really spans across every function at a restaurant. It could be something in the, uh, the back of the kitchen in terms of food preparation. It could be order taking. Um, really, there's a solution out there in the market for everything. Uh, but adoption's been slow. Um, it's something that's been out there for a couple of years, a lot of solutions, but a lot of restaurants, uh, either just because they're costly, some of these solutions, or they're difficult to implement. Uh, we haven't seen adoption where, they, where we thought we would in a lot of cases at this point. Well, there's also a sort of a spectrum of technology integration and, and automation, right? Whether that's a kiosk to place your order, or I know uh, there's a McDonald's, I believe, in Texas that's trying to roll out conveyor belts that would deliver food through drive throughs So it is sort of uh, dependent on, on just how much you want to bring it in. But I am curious, I want to pick your brain, what does this mean for those who are already working in the industry, uh, seemingly being forced out of the job position they're already in? Yeah, that's it's a good question and something that I think a lot of operators have struggled with is the idea that uh, by doing this, you're going to potentially put uh, you know, your employees out of work or be able to operate with a reduced workforce. And I think that's part of the reality of it is, um, you know, a lot of the operators will tell you that they're just replacing more remedial tasks, the tasks that uh, employees didn't like doing in the first place. And I think there is some truth to that. But I think that also the, the end goal is to create a restaurant format using technology that relies less on traditional labor. Uh, I, I don't think you can completely get away. I mean, at its core, restaurants are still very much a labor-intensive operation. Um, you're not going to be able to completely replace employees at most restaurants. Um, but I do think it's going to be interesting to find that balance in the future. Is this uh, from an from an owner's standpoint and from a business standpoint, is this an investment specifically like technology robots? Is it going to pay off in the long term? It's got to be pretty expensive to roll out these types of, of uh, technologies. Yeah, and that's the billion-dollar question right there is whether or not this will pay off. Our foot traffic data right now, looking at those locations that have rolled out robots and other automation compared to those locations that haven't, uh, it's pretty inconclusive at this point. You know, we don't see a lot of improvement in throughput you know, by what 
by that, I mean, at during peak hours, are they able to get more people through the lines and stuff? And it's pretty inconclusive at this point, too. So, um, you know, it's a matter of finding that, that right balance of implementation, you know, costs, everything like that. Um, yeah, I think at the end of the day, there probably is a place for automation, again, for some of those more remedial tasks that the employees would have to do. Uh, but at the end of the day, you really cannot fully replace your wait staff. And finding that, that balance between the two, I think, is going to be key uh, to making, you know, restaurants more productive and being able to satisfy more customers. If there is an opening and if there is a need for this type of technology, does it also create then an opening for a a new kind of employment, meaning employees just to manage the technology? There's going to be issues. There's going to be hiccups. Who handles that? Yeah, I think they think you're right. I think that part of the uh, success in this, this business, and we've already seen that shift too, as we start to implement things like digital ordering and uh, you know other drive-through technologies, things like that. We're already starting to see people, uh, you know, shift you know the different functions in terms of labor with the, the way it's associated with restaurants. And I think that's exactly right. You know, we've instead of people working you know line and preparing food, you know, the future of the restaurant industry might be people actually working you know to implement these technologies and to make it streamlined. To your point, uh, you know, there's different scenarios in almost every different restaurant. So it's a t- tough thing to scale this technology. Um, and so I think that, that, that there is a, a certainly a role for somebody with that background and you know technology focus in the future with, uh, with having to do with restaurants. Thanks so much. R.J. Hadovy, head of analytical research at Placer AI here in Chicago. Up next, Southwest Airlines continuing to cancel flights as the New Year holiday approaches. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's 60 Minutes of Financial Planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Southwest Airlines accounted for over 85% of all canceled domestic flights today, and that's drawing the attention of U.S. regulators. Joining us to discuss is Ken Goldstein, president of KJG International Consulting, based here in Chicago. Ken, we spoke with you uh, earlier on in the day, just sort of painting the picture of these cancellations and delays that a lot of airlines have experienced, but for Southwest, it seems to be sort of standing out in its exponential amount here. So we what started as weather-related cancellations is now sort of just become a scheduling nightmare. You know, this is the perfect example of Murphy's Law. What could go wrong did go wrong. <laughs> and instead of anything getting worse or getting better, it just keeps getting worse. There are people who say that Southwest had a meltdown. Their systems were old and decaying. Uh, their planes were out of position. You know, as I said earlier, the biggest problem here was weather related and it just got worse. They had crews that were not coming to work because it was so cold in Denver. Uh, planes actually froze up. They couldn't get them started. They couldn't get tow bars moving. Uh, they had planes out of position. They had crews out of position. Uh, the best thing that we could say to everyone today is this was everything that could go wrong did go wrong. So what do you say to people? Well, if you're sleeping in an airport and you can't get anywhere, there's not much you can say to them other than keep your receipts and try to get Southwest to pay for that. They said they would be reasonable, but they haven't really defined what reasonable will be. There are people who are saying, hey, you know, well, I'll drive. Well, that's another problem because the roads aren't all that great. Mm -hmm. And we don't know where the weather is going to be. 
So this is unfortunately being caught with our pants down at the worst time of the year for everyone. And, and it's caught the, the eye of the transportation department taking notice, obviously, of, of all airlines, but specifically Southwest and its handling with all these cancellations. Does this agency, could it have an impact on the airline moving forward or, or whether or not it was in compliance with, with what needs to be done? They'll call it for an investigation. They'll go after it, may hit them with fines. But in the long run, in six months down the road, will it all be forgotten? Not necessarily. They will try under Secretary Buttigieg and Department of Transportation to try to right the wrong. Could there be ways to do it? Will there hopefully come about an airline or air passenger bill of rights? That would be nice. But, you know, the airlines will come back and try to fight it. What's needed is, as I said, an airline passenger bill of rights to protect them, to protect people. I mean, the airlines are trying it now with saying, well, we know the weather is going to be bad and we'll give you an opportunity to change things. But, you know, it, it gets you quite late and you don't always can't change at the last minute. Thanks so much. Ken Goldstein, president of KJG International Consulting in Chicago. Still ahead, some tips on maximizing that spring break travel plan, plus a look at the 2023 credit card trends. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rachel Pearson in for Rob Hart, and these are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Southwest is dumping flights across the country as they try and catch up with scheduling. Residents in a western suburb are hoping their tap water will be deemed safe to drink today. Wall Street, a mixed bag. We'll find out more on today's numbers from a business columnist. Plus, many are still reeling from holiday travel, but we're getting an early jump on spring break travel, so you know how to prepare. WBBM Business, the Dow's up 92 points, the Nasdaq down 119, and the S&P 500 down 11. AccuWeather says it's going to be partly cloudy today with a high of 26 degrees, a low tonight of 24, then some sunshine tomorrow, still a little cloudy, but much milder with a high of 42 degrees. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues with the uncertainty of will it continue for Southwest Airlines passengers out of Chicago. WBBM's Rob Hart has more. Kyle Potter, editor of the Thrifty Traveler in Minneapolis, says the snowstorms, high winds and extreme cold that hit most of the country before Christmas started the cascade of cancellations at Southwest Airlines. Clearly the weather started this. It pushed the airline, it pushed many airlines to the brink. But now it's clear that it kind of broke. Southwest and the airline just can't catch up. Southwest is in the middle of what's called a schedule reset where the airline cancels flights so it can start at square one. So by canceling all of these flights, they're hoping that they can, you know, get their resources where they need to be in order to get things moving on time. Potter says it could take weeks for Southwest to get its flight schedule back on track. Rob Hart, 105.9 WBBM. Residents of West Suburban Bellwood are hoping the village's boil water order will be lifted today after testing required by the Environmental Protection Agency says it's safe. The village is going on its fourth day of the order where drinking water must be boiled for at least five minutes beforehand. Officials say extreme cold was likely to blame for two water main breaks and problems in the water tower system. Money Talks, as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Stocks are trading mixed this afternoon. Joining us with the latest on what's moving Wall Street is Tom Hudson, a week-ahead columnist at McClatchy Tribune News Services based in Miami, Florida. And Tom, what do you make of the seesaw we're seeing on Wall Street today? 
Well, it's kind of encouraging, Rachel, uh, encouraging in that we're seeing some some easy words coming out of China after years of a pandemic lockdown, seeing some kind of light that uh, Chinese consumer appetites may be able to be fulfilled with uh, imports from uh, the globe. That could certainly help out the global recession uh, concern. And then, of course, just some tax loss selling, I think, in some cases. Uh, Apple hitting a new 52-week low, for instance. I think folks that have been long Apple perhaps just harvesting some tax losses before the end of the calendar year. I know a lot of investors had had somewhat hoped to end 2022 on a positive note. It's known as, I believe, there's like sort of that Santa Claus rally. But we're still seeing quite a bit of volatility. So do you think that's going to carry into the next few days and into the new year? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The the Santa Claus rally will give way quickly to the January effect, as goes the first week or the first month of the year. So goes supposedly the rest of the year. All of these little axioms kind of hold up and hold water only in the years that uh, that we can prove them to be true and years that they don't. We tend to ignore them. I think what's going to continue to drive the markets, certainly in the first quarter, is going to be figuring out how far and how fast is the Federal Reserve going to continue to raise interest rates and how likely is the uh, more recent easing, ever so slight easing in inflation here in December uh, and November, likely to continue into the uh, first quarter. Gasoline prices obviously down. Hey, that's great news. It's really services that we need to watch for in terms of uh, future direction of inflation. I want to circle back to what you mentioned with inflation, even if we're just ever so lightly taking our foot off the pedal. Is it is it going to be any measurably good news for, for the consumer? Yeah, I think it is going to be measurably good news for the consumer, at least for those consumers that have cash. Now, for those consumers that are using borrowed cash to buy, interest rates are still going to remain Uh, uncomfortably high, not historically high, but uncomfortably high compared to the past uh, couple of decades or so. But for those consumers that do have a cash balance, seeing those savings rates, interest rates rise, that gives us a level of comfort here. And for uh, for consumers that are able to pay cash, they'll see a little bit of abatement in uh, inflation. Maybe we'll call it disinflation, but boy, nothing to get too excited about, at least not yet, because the Federal Reserve has said it's not excited about it yet. Well, if they're not, maybe I won't be either. <laughs> All right. Well, well, Tom, let's sort of let's do it like a two part here because we are sort of coming up on year's end. I want to know what, what's your takeaway from from 2022? And then what are you keeping an eye on in 2023? Any any resolutions financially? My takeaway for 2022 is, Rachel, take it away. Get rid of it. Move it out. Go ahead. <laughs> so you can, long. I'm ready to move on. It was an awful year to be a a long-term stock investor. I mean, the S&P 500 essentially down, I mean, 18, 19% on the year. I mean, it was a terrible year to be a a buy-and-hold stock investor. 2023 now could be brighter, uh, especially if you're not in the recession camp. If you think that the Federal Reserve is going to be able to pull pull off any kind of landing, uh, maybe a medium to soft landing, I think that uh, that uh, interest rates will move lower, certainly, as the Federal Reserve uh, perhaps doesn't cut interest rates but stays steady. The market will respond to that. Consumers, uh, the, the job market is, is very healthy still. Yes, we've seen some high-profile job cuts announced, but in terms of the unemployment rate, 
uh, and wages. Lots of good health there moving into the uh, year. And then corporate profits and expectations, ever so important. Expectations have been beaten down where corporate profits may have a a low hurdle to beat here in the uh, early new, new year. All right. Now, earlier we had someone on the show who gave it about a 67% chance that we would uh, land in a recession early next year. So how much faith do you have in the Federal Reserve? Oh, boy. I mean, listen, I'll leave that to wiser people than myself. I'll respond to what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing as a, as a financial reporter. And uh, business executives and employees, cautious, yes, but they're not scared. They're not worried. They're not pulling back. They're looking for visibility. They're not seeing it just yet. Uh, uh, so maybe we get a classic recession or a defined recession of uh, two quarters of negative growth. Maybe it's shallow. Maybe it's one quarter. I'll leave that for the economists and for the traders on LaSalle and Jackson to debate. I think the American consumer uh her confidence uh, has been improving as we've seen gasoline prices move lower. We've seen wage uh, increases have some stickiness to them, which is terrific. And we've seen job uh, uh, openings um, not contract as much as one would expect, given all the recession worries that uh, that are certainly out there. Thanks so much, Tom Hudson, a week ahead columnist at McClatchy Tribune News Services based in Miami. Up next on Travel Tuesday, some need to know tips on booking that spring break vacation. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Travel Tuesday on the WBBM Noon Business Hour, and it may not seem like it today, but spring break will be here right before you know it. And joining us to discuss getting a jump on those travel plans is Cindy Richards, editor-in-chief of She Buys Travel com based here in Chicago. Cindy, I think if we're reading the headlines and hearing about all the issues at airports right now, we might not be thinking about booking a flight. We might want to do the opposite, but you're saying perhaps now is the time to be thinking spring break. Well, you know, it's funny. I'm, I tend to be a much more spontaneous traveler, so I, I never would plan that far ahead. But <laughs> the day after Christmas, the traffic to our website for years just spikes and the the searches are for things like uh, you know spring break travel destinations so i i know i'm not normal that people really are planning ahead and so the real the key is to figure out where it is you want to go because what we do know is if you want to go to some place that's popular like disney world or anywhere else in florida uh, you know places we know it's going to be warm even the beach Um, everybody else wants to go there too. So you do need to book. You need to start thinking about it and booking it now. And especially if you're going to have to fly there because the planes are full and there's no sign they're going to get any less full anytime soon because of the staffing challenges and everything else that the airlines are dealing with. So if you're going to be flying somewhere that's a popular destination, definitely book it now. I think even, too, with all of the, the travel headaches we're seeing at airports, if, if you don't have a backup plan, maybe at least make sure you can get your money back. You know, absolutely. Um, whatever you book, book something that's refundable. I, you know, your airplane, your airfares might not be. I'm a big fan of travel insurance um, because it can compensate you if there's a problem and you can't get recourse from the um from the airlines if you get stuck in a hotel because your plane didn't take off like so many people sitting around O'Hare and Midway right now. Um, But if you, you know, if you're worried about, if you're not spontaneous and you're worried you won't get where you want to be, or you have a particular hotel you absolutely have to stay in, 
then do book it now, but book the, you know, maybe um, spend a little more and book the refundable fare or the refundable hotel room just in case things change and you decide not to take that trip for some reason. Cindy, what kind of trends are you seeing or do you expect to see with spring break 2023 as far as who goes, where do you stay, what's popular? You know, it's, it's really interesting. They, we were already um, seeing a trend toward multi-generational travel before the pandemic. But once we all, you know, spent a year or more and we couldn't see grandma and grandpa, we couldn't see the aunties, we couldn't see the cousins, multi-gen travel has taken off since travel has returned. And it's no different now. All of the, um, the trend seers for 2023 are talking about multi-gen travel is, is going to continue to grow at um, astonishing rates. So things like all-inclusive hotels, you know, my family was here for Christmas and we were all talking about where are we going to go? And we were talking about an all-inclusive in the Caribbean because it's easy for everybody. Mm -hmm. There's things for the kids. You can keep everybody entertained. Uh, you know, grandma and grandpa can can join you for dinner or lay on the beach all day while the kids are running around. Um, so those kinds of things are big. And planning spring break travel, if you, you know, if you can figure out a way to get everybody, if everybody, all the kids have the same break, it's really nice to take everybody along and spend a week where you're not worrying about anything else except enjoying each other's company. I also am going to chime in and say that you're not you also don't have to worry about the financials something all inclusive right it's one very clear upfront fee so whether that's bringing family members or even a trip with just friends you know that okay we're all going to be paying this amount it's not going to be well who gets the bill at the end and who ends up paying for those add-ons absolutely that's the best thing about an all inclusive and it's why uh, you know some people in the travel business are a little snooty and they don't like the idea of all inclusive I think they're brilliant. Um, that Not only that, I mean, my son was a very picky eater. And to have all of the food choices where I could just say, take, a, you know, a spoonful of everything and find something you like, and then you can go back and get more. That made it a vacation for me right there, as opposed to <laughs> fighting with him at a restaurant to try and figure out something he would eat. Thanks so much, Cindy Richards, editor-in-chief at SheBuysTravel.com, based here in Chicago. You can join us at this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday. And still to come, a look at 2023 credit card trends. Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.50, and when searching for a father's rights attorney, search Jeffrey M. Leving. More consumers opted to use credit cards and unsecured loans this year amid decades-high inflation. Joining us to talk about it and 2023 credit card trends is Ted Rossman, industry analyst at CreditCards.com based in New York. Ted, what can cardholders expect heading into 2023? Unfortunately, interest rates are going to remain high, and I think that's probably the biggest theme in the credit card world. Right now, we're at a record high, 19.55%. We started the year at 16.3%, so it's been the biggest single-year jump on record. seems like the Fed may push rates another percentage point or so higher and then plateau for a while. So it really makes me think that for anybody with credit card debt, it's super important to pay this down, maybe with a 0% balance transfer card or a low-rate personal loan as a form of debt consolidation, 
or even just tactics like earning more, perhaps through a side hustle or spending less. The point is credit card rates are extraordinarily high. Debt payoff needs to be a priority. Right. Now, I mean, if you do pay off your card, you're sort of impervious to to whether or not interest rates go up. But for those of us, sir, for those who maybe do put money on their cards, I'm also thinking about the consumer who, who did that holiday shopping and put a lot on their card to help deal with inflation. What are we seeing balance wise with credit cards? Where does that sit? The most recent data from the New York Fed covered the third quarter, and those balances were up 15% from a year ago. And that's actually the biggest year-on-year jump in this data set that goes back about 20 years. I do fear that the fourth quarter brought another big rise in balances between holiday spending and higher rates and just generally high inflation all over the place. Um, So I really think for anybody with credit card debt, that payoff has to be towards the top of your New Year's resolution list. I'm glad you mentioned the other side, though, people who pay in full, because for that crowd, credit cards are great because you earn rewards and you get better buyer protections. And it's like they say, credit cards are like power tools. They could be really useful or they could be dangerous. Yeah. Now, I do want to circle back because you had mentioned using a balance transfer credit card. What makes that different? How does it work? Basically, it's a promo. So you get a 0% promotional rate on a new card for up to 21 months. Examples include the Wells Fargo Reflect, the City Simplicity, and the Bank AmeriCard. So you take your existing credit card debt from one or more cards, move it over to the new card. It's essentially a form of refinancing, like the new card pays off the old cards, and then you pay the new card at that much lower rate. It only lasts as long as 21 months. So that's the key. I would tell people... Don't make any new purchases. Just divide what you owe by the number of months in that term. Try to stick to that level payment plan. If you can, it could save you a ton of money and interest. Thanks so much, Ted Rossman, industry analyst at creditcards.com. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMnewsradio.com and on the Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.